I'm Paul Comfort, and this is Comfort's Corner. Today is Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. Thanks so much for being with us today on this special pop-up podcast that we've started to bring information to the public transportation industry about how our systems are responding to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Today, we have a review of headlines. We'll also have an in-depth interview, a 15-minute interview with Dr. Bob Schneider, who is executive director of the Potomac and Rappahannock Transportation Commission in Northern Virginia and operates commuter service and local service outside of Washington, D.C. He gives us some great insight into their responses and some uh, input for the industry on how to move forward. And then, as always, we'll close with a short reading, an excerpt from our best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation. Most of you in the U.S. are aware of what's happening as I record this on mid-afternoon on March 24, 2020, that the House of Representatives has come up with its own plan uh, called the Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act, which would provide $25 billion in grants to the transit industry, as well as more than a billion for Amtrak. The Republican plan in the Senate that was released over Sunday night by Mitch McConnell would have uh, given $20 billion in grants to the transit industry, $16 billion for urban areas, $4 billion for rural areas, funded through the Federal Transit Administration formulas, which could then be used by agencies for operating expenses. So the Senate bill and the House bill both contain as much money as our uh, big group, the American Public Transportation Association, had asked for. They had asked for $16 billion, and both of them have at least that much in it. So that's the good news. Uh, Additionally, the bill would allow agencies to use the funds to make payments to furloughed workers and maintain key worker protections, eliminate requirements that transit agencies match federal funds, and allow agencies to use federal funds to compensate for lost revenues. That was in the House version. Uh, The the problem is it hasn't passed yet, at least as the recording of this, but it sounds like they're moving closer and closer to potentially doing this. A group of 10 transit agency CEOs submitted a letter to the leadership in the Senate and the House yesterday, some of our big systems here in the U.S., reiterating their need for funding and asking that any bill provide at least $25 billion for dedicated support of public transportation. The letter said the goal of the federal package is to stabilize the economy and establish a backstop that will propel the country forward. Public transit agencies are literally on the front line of that effort. We're helping the heroes most critical at this time of crisis, healthcare professionals, first responders, grocery, utility, childcare workers do their job. It's responsibility we take seriously, no matter the cost, wrote the group. Now it's time for the federal government to match that commitment. And so, as I mentioned, both packages in the House and Senate do include at least $20 billion. And so uh, if they can pass it, that'll be a big sigh of relief for the industry. Because there are other things happening. Private sector companies are really feeling uh, the heat. Bombardier announced that in support of the recent mandates from We'll go over the border now into Canada, the governments of Quebec and Ontario, that they are going to suspend all non-essential work at most of their Canadian base operations starting this evening at midnight until April 26. Inclusively, the suspension includes Bombardier's aircraft and rail production activities in the provinces of Quebec and Ontario. Other uh, privately held companies that are suppliers and vendors to the public transit agency are really feeling the heat. Some of our... uh, Paratransit providers, companies like First Transit, TransDev, Keolis, um, MV Transportation, National Express, because they're getting paid by the revenue hour uh, and revenue hours are down, as uh, you've heard across the board. We'll talk about that more in a minute. 
they're concerned about getting their fixed costs covered. Some transit agencies are generously stepping up and saying that even though we don't have a fixed plus variable cost contract with you, we will be willing to cover your fixed costs, meaning the cost to keep you know, employees. You don't want to lose these drivers. That's something that Dr. Bob Schneider talks about extensively in our conversation in just a moment. You don't want to lose drivers that are so hard to get in this economy. Uh, if we're going to be back up and running, let's say in six weeks, um, we don't want to lose them in the meantime. And so it's important for public transit agencies to not lose sight of that and to lose sight of the fact that their vendors who are providing them all kinds of supplies and materials and actually operation support need to be taken care of as well. And this fund, these funds should pass through is what some of these private providers are saying to them. Other systems are, are, uh, are helping um, by delivering food. There's a number of uh, public transit agencies across the country, Nevada, Texas, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, who are doing it. Um, my buddy Randy down in Austin, Texas, the CAP Metro Transportation Authority is working with HEB and the Central Texas Food Bank to provide help at home kits to CAP Metro's max, Metro Access clients free of charge. The kits include shelf-stable items, food and vegetables, etc. And uh, the RTC of Southern Nevada, our friends uh, there in, in Las Vegas, uh, MJ Maynard and her team are working with three squares to ensure seniors will still have access to food through deliveries. Nevada is currently under a 30-day non-essential business shutdown, and the reduction in demand has freed up RTC paratransit vehicles to provide food deliveries. Uh, in Minnesota, customers who book rides to the paratransit service can now book rides for supplies. And so that's one interesting thing is that uh, as transit systems are cutting back on service, some of their employees are available to do other things such as that. That's some of the good news side of things. Uh, my friend Julie Tim, chief executive officer in Richmond, announced today that immediately after suspending fares in the Richmond GRTC transit service, our ridership jumped by several thousand trips a day. Some of this was from kids out of school with energy to burn, and some because of the stunning weather, people wanted to get out of the house. But some of these trips are for people looking for employment or taking trips to the grocery store or going to the doctor, and now that they can ride without the fare because they couldn't afford to pay the fare the day before. Uh, she says, while it's hard for me to believe we live in a world where transit is begging people not to ride, uh, they're putting new policies in place to restrict joyriding and restrict groups of unaccompanied minors, serving the community's very real and very essential mobility uh, needs during this crisis is a juggling act. And that's right. Her and I talked about that yesterday, actually. Some other systems are continuing to cut back service. In uh, Pittsburgh, the Port Authority is going to reduce bus light rail service by 25%. In Saginaw, Stars Bus Service will be closing routes April 13th, but the dial-a-ride is still available. That's what I've seen a lot, too. A lot of systems may be cutting back on some of their fixed route service, but they're making sure that they continue to provide service uh, for people with disabilities. A different story in uh, Iowa, Cedar Rapids is going to suspend all transit service beginning tomorrow. Their officials said they recognize the difficulty the decision holds for those dependent on public transit as their sole means of getting around. And some other local services will continue, but actually have far less capacity. So big decision there in Cedar Rapids just to cut back completely what's happening. So there's a whole um, cornucopia of responses, right? And so what, what I'm hearing as I've talked to transit executives around the country is ridership is down at least 50% on most fixed route services. For commuter services, ridership is down between 70 and 90%. And so people are taking into consideration the fact that while they're still riding the bus, people need to have some social distancing. So they're not cutting back service completely to match the 50% reduction in demand, 
but maybe they're cutting back 25% so that there still is room so that they can ask people to, some places they're asking people to sit every other seat, those kind of things. Um, one of the interesting things is the, is the cleaning efforts down back to uh, Cap Metro. They received more than 100 applications for cleaning and bus operating jobs the same day it announced 150 openings amid the coronavirus epidemic. And so they're hiring part-time workers to help clean buses more frequently. They get 24 hours a week at $15 an hour, and they're hiring 100 full-time bus operator positions. People are probably also aware that there's been some waiving on um, requirements uh, for the federal government for driving and CDL. Uh, some CDL standards have been waived during this crisis as well. So there's a lot happening, a lot of moving parts. Suffice to say, people are still optimistic, cautiously optimistic. This is a major gut punch to the transit industry. Uh, but the brilliant leaders we have whose heart really is in place to help others are coming up with some very creative ways to respond and to make sure that our first responders, our police uh, officers, nurses and doctors and hospitals, workers at grocery stores and, and pharmacies still have a way to get to work. Public transit is not a luxury like cruises. Public transit is, uh, is not a nicety like air travel. Public transportation is a public necessity in order for the wheels, not just on the bus to go round and round, but the wheels on our economy to continue to turn and keep this nation moving forward. I'm Paul Comfort. That's a look at the headlines today. Stay tuned for our special in-depth interview with Dr. Bob Schneider, Executive Director of OmniRide in Northern Virginia. Thanks for being with us on this special Comfort's Corner, looking at the impact of COVID-19 and the coronavirus on the public transportation industry. Hi there, Bob. How you doing? Doing all right. Good. So great to have Bob Schneider on the phone, Dr. Robert Schneider with his official title. Uh, Bob is one of the smartest guys in our business. He is executive director of the Potomac and Rappahannock Transportation Commission in Northern Virginia, which operates OmniRide. And also, Bob, you're on the uh, the board of um, VRE, right? The Virginia Railway Express. Yes, that is correct. I'm yeah. on the operations board. Well, thanks for being with us today on this special pop-up podcast we've started called Comfort's Corner, where basically what we're doing is we're taking a look each day at the headlines from the industry and how the public transportation industry is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. And then we're taking an in-depth look with at least one newsmaker each day, and today it's you, to tell us more in-depth about how your transit agency, you know, what you're doing to respond to this. And you're in a key position right outside the nation's capital. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about your system itself and, and uh, you know, the scope of service you provide. Sure. We got about 165 transit vehicles, 100, about 100 of them or 110 are about our MCIs. Uh, so we're providing services from about 35 miles outside Washington, D.C., direct into the nation's capital. Our service area includes the White House, the State Department, Navy Yard, LaFont Plaza, Pentagon, Tyson's Corner, service to... Um, Crystal City, all those major locations in uh, what we call the National Capital Region. And we connect them with WMATA or Metro, which is, of course, Washington, D.C. Transit. Uh, partnership with Fairfax Connector. We're integrated with all the different systems. And about 90% of what we do really is commuter-oriented in terms of service. So we've got about probably 10,000 park and ride lot spaces we serve daily. 
our ridership is in the eight to 9,000 range per day. And again, we're talking 90% of that is really driven by people commuting into Washington, D.C., up I-95 and back in the evening or I-66 um, at, toward the west. And then you also do some local service, right, in uh, Prince William County? We do. Prince William County, city of Manassas, um, famous for the start of the Civil War, et cetera, but not a whole lot of routes and services there because we export about 70% of our residents out of the county in order to work, whether it's in the financial markets in Tyson's Corner or the, um, the Arlington area, Fairfax, Alexandria, and of course, Washington, D.C. proper. Sure. And then you're also one of the leaders of Virginia Railway Express, which is commuter train service into Washington, D.C., right? Correct. Uh, VRE is really, it's an, it's part of our group, but they operate independently. Their acting CEO, Rich Dalton, is leading them through this. And our role is we're, the, we're one of the funding structures that collect the motor fuel sales tax to help uh, keep them live and running. And then we help, we're the official agent when it comes to the federal grants and, and those types of things. But VRE is very similar to us in that they are a railway express. Their bread and butter is the commuter services element. And they travel as far as, I think, 45 miles south of Spotsylvania County and about 30 miles out west along the I-66 corridor. So they have a big footprint as well. Yeah. So today is Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. And we're in week three of what I'm calling, you know, the COVID shutdown or the coronavirus shutdown as, as uh, systems and uh, cities, jobs, the economy, all is ratcheting down so that people can practice social distancing so we won't spread uh, the coronavirus. Tell us the impact that's having on your transit system. So we did our ridership review of our, of our local, and we're going to talk more about commuter and local separately, but our commuter services were down at this point. Yesterday was 87%. And so we're right in that 90% range, and it's been declining every day. Last Monday was the first day that we saw the first impact of telework. A lot of agencies were preparing for it, but um, in D.C., the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, is the decision maker of what is the policy that will be in place. So, for example, if it's a snow day, OPM makes the call that says federal government's closed or it's a four-hour delay or whatever the circumstance. Right. They did not actually change their status until around 8 o'clock at night on Sunday, the I think it was the 15th. So that meant okay. there were a lot of employees that, that went in with us just to get their stuff and come, and come home. Between Monday of last week, we lost 60% or 40% of our ride. No, I'm sorry. We lost 60% of our ridership last Monday. By this wow. Monday, we were down 87%. Okay. Um, so that's just an example of that. And there's a couple of things that go with that from a mobility standpoint. Transit services, now the traffic's less when you're doing commuter services. The reason we're so popular is because we're in the dedicated hot lanes or the diamond lanes. And there's not a lot of parking downtown. Well, now if you change the dynamic of a functioning city, you have more available parking, it's easier traffic, and driving alone can suddenly become more attractive because now you have suburban traffic as opposed to urbanized traffic. So that's one component of it. Put that with the telework phenomenon, and we're, we've just been, as, as a region, WMATA, VRE, us, all the systems in the region who really rely on commuter-driven and work-driven trips have just been raised. Mm. 
So what's been your response to that drop and decline in ridership? I know that you outsource a lot of your, uh, a lot of your work. So are you just cutting routes or cutting back service times or what are you doing? So one of the unique things is we operate a Monday through Thursday schedule and then a Friday schedule because Fridays are just a less popular work day in the national capital region, flex work, telework on Fridays, things like that. So um, we starting tomorrow, we're actually going to be introducing our Friday schedule, which is a 15% reduction. But what we're also doing is then eliminating or cons let's say consolidating routes that are going to key locations like the Pentagon. The Pentagon normally employs 25,000 people. Well, they're down to around 7,000 people, but there's still essential functions for national defense, et cetera, and we still have ridership there. So it's not like it's all gone. It's predominantly right. not going to the financial market district. It's, it's, it, but we still have strong service to the Pentagon. So we're, we're consolidating and we're reducing by about 25%. We're also in the situation where there's a, the, the tollways help pay for commuter services for the state. So it's not local money. We're going to continue to operate those because that at least provides some resources for us and keeps drivers behind the wheel. And, you know, it's like, well, if you consolidate everything, you're putting everyone on one bus. Well, that's not social distancing. And right. so there's that balance between short-term gain short-term pain and what are we doing to help minimize the transmission in this region if everyone traveling with us is now essential personnel we have to balance those two things and so we've looked at our ridership patterns how will they spread out and so tomorrow when we start introducing this um, and we've done the other things other systems have done cashless fare um, on our commuter services but we are collecting no fare on our local services our local services Ridership is down around 60%. It went down 40% right out, right out of the gates last week. And it's declined continuously. So we've got some, because we're doing fare free, as everyone knows, fare free is harder to track. Most of our local buses don't have rear door. So we still have front door loading. But we've okay. at least followed, followed some of those trends. We're providing gloves. We can't get masks. We can't get sanitizer. But I've reached out to the local distilleries and said, hey, what are you guys doing? If you're participating, we want to be first in line so we can take care of our drivers. So That's good, yeah. Uh, but our, our approach is really focusing on maintaining our workforce. We've got, like most transit systems, we put together some reserve. Uh, over the past three years, I helped establish a capital reserve fund. We're starting to hear from the feds that they may release and give more flexibility to how you use 5307 money plus whatever packages comes down the line. I have to you know, give huge credit to the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation, Jennifer Mitchell and Jennifer DeBrule, the governor's office through Secretary Valentine's leadership immediately released one additional month of operating assistance. So right there's 300, I'm sorry, $613,000 that offsets our fare loss. And so That's when you great. look at systems like Metro, they're losing $52 million a month. You know, we're losing $820,000 a month. Um, the orders of magnitude of, of how impactful this will be. But if we don't protect our workforce and we don't keep them engaged and we don't keep them on the books, what's going to happen when our economy does recover? How can we get back to normal if we can't right. deliver the services that are critical? 
I know that Julie Tim, my friend down who in Richmond who runs their service, was also very thankful to Virginia for doing that and help them continue their service. Let's talk a little bit about finances. Uh, you're one of the guys who really has his hands around, I think, the financial side of operating the system. So as we're talking on Tuesday afternoon on Washington DC in Washington, DC on Capitol Hill, they're debating, you know, the House versus the Senate's plan. The House plan was $25 billion for transit. Uh, the Senate plan was $20 billion, $16 billion for urban, $4 billion for rural. Uh, so we know that they're working on uh, you know, sending this extra funding through the normal formula funds that come through FTA and quick out, you know, uh, parlay out to their um, grantees such as yourself. But let me ask you about the financial side of operations. So if you're cutting back service, uh, I know a lot of systems were at uh, maximum capacity with drivers. Most systems I was aware of were, uh, you know, giving overtime to drivers because they just didn't have enough CDL drivers. Um, but now with services cut back, they're not paying as much overtime or any overtime for drivers, paying it obviously to the cleaners. But what's the real financial hit? So you're going to lose, what, 20 percent or more on fares. And then uh, but is that offset at all by the reduction in hours that you're paying your contractors and or your uh, drivers? Somewhat. Um, okay. No, no question. You're going to receive some savings. I mean, it, I can guarantee you can go to almost any transit system in the country. And if you just look at what it takes to keep the lights on the water running, fuel in the tank and a, and a right. talented driver behind the wheel, that's 85% of costs. So mm -hmm. right now fuel is cheap. So that's at least a boon to the bottom yeah. line, um, but not a whole lot. If you're reducing your volume of service, it really right. comes down to, in our industry, we are very much like tourism. We are very much like the airlines. We have very, very, very big expensive capital needs, but the majority of what we need is our, is our labor force. And we employ people. And people, right. And what I've seen, and I've talked to maybe a dozen CEOs in the last week, no one is laying off drivers because it's so hard to get them. So how are, how are you, if you're not, you know, for those who have cut back 50%, I'm wondering, you know, what's the game plan? Are we just going to pay drivers and uh, and mechanics and others to do other duties or what, what's the game plan? It's really going to, I think, depend. It's going to be a system by system decision. So, for mm -hmm. example, you um, some of the creativity that we've heard in the industry phone calls will be so like um, you're on a B, you're on a shift or B shift. So maybe if you cut back 50 percent, well, how many employees? If, so let's, let's back up a little bit. So, number one, you already had in many ways a driver shortage. You've also right. had training. Uh, you, you wish you could train drivers, but it's so hard to get them off the road. So if you, yes. if you do sit down and you say, okay, if I could invent my perfect transit system, what would I do? I'd have fully staffed drivers, check that box. Fully trained drivers, check that box. Uh, what are the other needs you have in the maintenance department? So keeping your maintenance department, go, catch up, get some things done. Right. So what's that laundry list of important things? Meanwhile, you will have employees who are maybe have a pregnant spouse at home, or maybe they have multi-generational household where they have people in their 80s. They'll self-select and say, you know what, I've got PTO. I'm going to take it. Wise leaders are going to say, we get you. There's no penalty. Thank you. How can we support you? Because we need you back. Right. So, That's right. so if we do those things, we're going to get to a number of, of people who are going to put their hand in the air and say, I want to work. So just on a, mm -hmm. on a hypothetical situation, if you normally have 100 runs for your drivers a day and you're down to 50, well, 
have some do the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then the next week do the Tuesday, Thursday, because then you're minimizing the exposure to the, to the employee. You're allowing them to be at home to help manage schools are closed, managing household and family. And someone still has to go to the grocery store. Someone still has to. So giving that family support. And when you think about um, single parents in the situation, or maybe um, single parents who've relied on, you know, the resources of a multi-generational community and family that aren't able to get out. There's a lot of social impacts that we're not thinking about. So keeping those drivers, mechanics, utility workers all taken care of is extremely important in this industry. We're going to pop back up. And when that happens, are they, are they, or we, we're now we're competing even more with Amazon. And more with delivery. Right. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. They're so, just hiring so, 100,000 people. Yeah. Right. So, so let's not make the mistake of a short-term sell. This isn't the Thank stock you. market. This is, this, is, this is a defining moment of, of leadership for our industry to say, we're going to have to be here when this comes back. Um, we're mobility. We're not, not to say that airlines aren't mobility, but airlines are helpful. Um, transit is essential. Cruises are a luxury. Shipping is essential. So we have to balance these kinds of things and recognize that we are in a transportation industry and we have to be prepared for that. Economically, I would imagine that once we learn what the, what the federal government does, how states are going to react, what the different aid packages will come in, most of us will be in a situation where we're going to end up okay. It's going to be very painful. We're going to have to make some big decisions, but this is different from when the economy collapsed in 2008 in the standpoint of that was directly tied to a lot of economic mistakes. This isn't an economic mistake. This is a public health crisis, and we can recover from that. Um, We've got some lessons we've learned over the past 10, 15 years that will put us in in a different position to respond. Dr. Bob Schneider, some great words for our industry. I hope people are listening. Our greatest resource is our people, is our human resources. We have to make sure that we keep them uh, viable for the operations. I love your idea of, you know, basically getting things done that's been on your to-do list. All the training, all the, all the cleaning, all the things that needed to be done. Let's make the most, of, the most of, uh, of this bad situation and come out even better on the other side. Thanks so much for being with us today. Executive Director of OmniRide in Northern Virginia. Take care. back to part three of our special Comforts Corner podcast. This is a pop-up podcast I decided to start to make sure that people across uh, the nation and the world are aware of the impact of COVID-19 on the public transportation industry. If you uh, work for a private company that serves the public transportation industry and want to be involved in this podcast, please let me know. You can email me at pcomfortconsulting at gmail.com or contact me by private message on my LinkedIn page, which is Paul Comfort, or follow me on Twitter, at Comfort Paul. At those two locations, I'm putting out lots of information about what's happening, more than I can even include in this 30-minute podcast. 
One of the other things we're doing is taking a read from our book, The Future of Public Transportation. Most of you probably know that I was able to pull together about 40 transit leaders from around the world and futurists and associations and ask them to prognosticate in their area of speciality on what the future of public transportation holds in the next five to 10 years for this decade of the 2020. This was before the COVID-19 crisis, but I still think much of it still applies, obviously. And um, today I want to read from uh, my chapter at the end on payment methodology. And I chose this because what's happening around the industry right now is that agencies are going fare free. Agencies are going cash free. And it's only a matter of time, I think, before they realize that this is uh, a potential eventuality in the industry. And so let's talk about uh, payment methodology from a book, The Future of Public Transportation, which is available on Amazon. Uh, for digital download or as a book itself. And Amazon's still delivering that. I know you can at least get a digitally download today. Payment methodology. In in earlier chapters, we have touched on this topic, but there's a little more to say. Traditional transit systems used to use tokens for payment. Then tokens went the way of gas lanterns and we moved to cash. After cash, many systems introduced their own branded fare payment cards. First paper, then plastic. Now systems are leveraging technology more and more and moving to credit card readers to allow for contactless or tap and go payments while maintaining the option of cash to comply with U.S. federal requirements to allow those who are unbanked to keep paying their fares. The latest fashion is wearables, mobile and BIBO. Wearables are similar to branded fare cards but allow bracelets or necklaces and the like to be used for fare payment. With mobile payment, we are moving away from using plastic credit cards to e-payments through smartphones and smartwatches with similar tap-and-go technology. Finally, the proximity-based technology, or BEBO, which stands for Be In, Be Out, is another form of contactless payment that identifies the presence of a person through detectable devices and calculates fare based on the duration of their presence. A person simply hops on and off the vehicle without interacting with any payment system. Fare boxes are changing too. They've become so complex to handle the myriad of these fare payment options along with day and monthly passes and more. Now in a countervailing move, some agencies are opting for the opposite. They want to go back to a simple cash only fare box with separate card readers or validators in the front and back of the bus for those using all of the other card, smartphone, wearable payment options. I had one top industry official tell me that the next order of fare boxes most transit systems make will be their last. Meaning fare boxes are becoming an anachronism of the past and soon all of these other payment options will mean it's no longer really necessary. The free fare movement is also taking root. For these transit systems, they certainly won't need fare boxes. Transit advocates like Robbie Mackinnon, chief executive officer of the Kansas City Area Transit Authority, KCATA, who wrote the foreword to this book, are moving ahead with finding other funding sources to pay for the unsubsidized portion of transit service, meaning riders can ride for no fare. And as an aside, they announced last week that they actually were moving to that in light of the current COVID-19 situation. Now back to the book. One of the practical reasons to pursue this free fare is the cost of collecting fares, which can top 30% of the actual fares collected with fare enforcement, collection, and counting personnel, along with the capital cost of replacing fare boxes, armored car services, and more. Will transit eventually be considered as a basic city service, like parks, streets, or public schools, with no additional public subsidy requested from the user? In the past, the small percentage of citizens who take transit, as compared to those who use these other public services, has kept government leaders treating transit more like a public golf course or airport, which are called enterprise-funded service, that requires an extra payment from the user, 
while remaining publicly subsidized. There seems to be some traction to this free fare movement, and you can look to see more cities adopting the approach that transit will now be a basic city service, not requiring a fare payment. That's the end of that section in our book, and it's more true now than ever in the light of uh, coronavirus. I think that some systems will be evaluating, hey, can we just stick with this free fare situation? Not all will be able to do it, and but I think more will, will look to do, go the way of Transport for London, uh, which did away with cash over five years ago. So that's it for today's edition uh, on Tuesday, March 24th. 2020. I'm going to keep this up as long as I can. <laughs> a daily podcast bringing you the daily headlines, a newsmaker interview, and then a reading from our book and some other interesting tidbits we've added in. Let me know how you like the show. Send me a note on uh, LinkedIn or email me at pcomfortconsulting at gmail. Or if you have other ideas that you think we should include in this podcast, let me know. I know that uh, leaders of the federal government are listening to this podcast as well as many transit CEOs and executives across the country as they've reached out to tell me and across the world that they're listening and getting ideas uh, from one another through this podcast. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, stay tuned for tomorrow's episode. Enjoy the rest of the day and stay safe out there.